Well, it's great to see you all here this morning and to welcome again our friends who are online. If you've been following the news, one of the things you know is that Mr. Potato Head has changed. And not the potato part, but it is the Mr. part that has changed. And if we ask the question, why is that a problem? Well, I think part of the answer is, is because there's also a Mrs. Potato Head. And if you have a Mr. and a Mrs. Potato Head, then that defines what marriage is. Marriage is one man and one woman united in a monogamous relationship that is to be lifelong. But our culture now rejects that definition of marriage. And so all other definitions of marriage by that definition are eliminated. So obviously now Mr. Potato Head has to become generic to make room for other views of marriage. If you grew up like many of us here this morning, no one ever had to explain to you why there was a Mr. and Mrs. Potato Head. You knew that to have marriage, you have to have a Mr. and a Mrs. And so it was self-evident to you that marriage was between a man and a woman. But you know, our culture is now so confused that teachers cannot say that in school. Professors cannot say that at a college, and many politicians are afraid to say that as well. So you know who that leaves to clear up the confusion? Parents, right? Christian leaders? Pastors? We're it. And there's probably no more important job that we have today than to make God's truth clear. Jesus said this in John 8.32, he said, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And that's our job today as parents, as Christian leaders, and as pastors, and it is a very, very big job today. Now this morning, we are coming back to our series on God's design for family life. And this is the last message in this series. There have been eight of them all together. And this morning, I want you to take your Bibles again and turn with me to verses 20 and 21 of Colossians chapter 3. And clearly, as we come to this text, God's definition of marriage is the basis for everything we read here about family life. Now, I want to read again verses 20 and 21, because here God, in his great wisdom, distills for us the major duties in family life, particularly now as we think about raising children. And so notice what the Bible says. Children, verse 20, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Now, remember last week, we looked at the first principle in verse 20, train your children to accept authority. Train your children to accept authority. Well, now, let's look at principles 2 and principles 3. The second principle is this, be your children's greatest encourager. 
If you are a parent here today, the Lord says to you, here's a duty that you have. You are to be your children's greatest encourager. Now, when I think of that, I, I think of cheerleaders, all right? All of us know that cheerleaders uh, know exactly what their duty is, and that is to encourage the team no matter what. And so the cheerleaders are down there in front of the fans, and they're cheering. You can do it. You can do it. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. You can do it. You can do it. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. The fans, they're looking up the score, and it's 37 to nothing. And their team is losing. And they're thinking, no, they can't do it. They can't do it. They haven't got a chance. But that doesn't stop the cheerleaders at all. You can do it. You can do it. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. They know their job. Now, the Bible here is telling us parents are to be like those cheerleaders. They're to be their children's greatest encouragers. Now, I put this in the positive, but why does Paul here put it in the negative? Do not provoke your children, he says, lest they become discouraged. Why does he put it in the negative? Well, it's because he wanted to correct a widespread practice in the first century in the Roman Empire. Now, although this is addressed to fathers, obviously mothers are included as well, but in the first century, the fathers had a very significant right that was called the right of the patria potestas, and that meant the power of the father. Listen to how much power a father had when Paul wrote these words. The father had absolute power over his family. He could sell them as slaves. He could make them work in his fields in chains, and he could even take the law into his own hands and punish any member of his family as severely as he wanted, even to the point of inflicting the death penalty. And he had this power as long as he lived. Now you can imagine what this led to. Beatings were common. Abuse was acceptable. Many children grew up discouraged, defeated, and demoralized by their own fathers. And so what a wonderful thing now to come here to what the Apostle Paul writes and recognize a beautiful balance in family life. Verse 20, children need authority, and so he says to parents, maintain your authority. Never give your authority away to your children, but verse 21, make sure it doesn't become authoritarianism. Because when authority becomes authoritarianism, it often becomes arbitrary, and whatever is arbitrary can become abusive and demoralizing. And so once again, the Bible insists on the inherent value of children. Children need authority, but it never should be abusive authority. Now, as we think about this, how can we discourage our children? Well, many years ago, Pastor John MacArthur preached a sermon on this text. 
And as a father, he listed 10 ways that we can discourage our children. Now, none of us here this morning are perfect parents. We try our very best. But these are the 10 things that we want to avoid so that we are our children's encouragers rather than their discouragers. Let me give them to you here this morning. Number one, cruelty. Cruelty. If you've ever seen bruises on a child's bottom, and I've only seen it once in my life, you know that discipline has become abuse. And there's clearly no place for cruelty toward a child. Number two, overprotection. Smothering a child, never allowing that child to solve its own problems or take any risks. My sister's pastor says to his congregation, teach your children to do hard things. And obviously the reason he says that is because when we teach children to face and to do hard things, what we are doing is we are building confidence in them. And we are also showing them that we believe they are capable of achieving and facing the difficulties of life. Number three, the way we can discourage our children is through favoritism. Comparing children unfairly who have differing talents and abilities. Uh, I knew a father many years ago who said that when his son would come home with his report card and he would see C's on the report card, he would criticize his son for getting C's. And he would say to him, why can't you get A's and B's like his sister was getting? And then one day that father realized the reason my son is getting C's is that's the best he can do. And I'm criticizing him for the best he can do. And then all of a sudden the light went on. My criticism is not helping him. It is discouraging him. And then number four, pushing achievement. And that is unreasonable demands to fulfill our dreams for our kids. Isn't it easy to do that? To live out our dreams through the life of our child when that may not necessarily be their talents, their abilities, or their dreams. And then number five, lack of approval will discourage a child. Failure to balance criticism with praise, reward, and encouraging words. I know a pastor who says, for every one time you criticize your child, you should praise them ten times. What a wise pastor. He's clearly trying to create an atmosphere in his home of encouragement so that when he does bring constructive criticism, it will be in a healthy atmosphere of praise and encouragement. And then number six, failure to allow for childishness. Scolding kids for just being kids and having fun. I'm so glad here at Bethel that our kids have fun, aren't you? I just love seeing our kids having fun at church. Church should be a place where kids can be kids. And I love to see that here at Bethel. Here's a seventh way, seventh way we can discourage our children through neglect. Neglect. 
So many kids grow up with busy parents who don't have time for them. I read about a, 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 a parent who decided to visit his preschool son at his school. And when he arrived, the son was talking with three of his friends, and so this father just observed the, the four boys talking. And uh, one boy said, my dad's a doctor. Other boy said, well, my dad's a lawyer. Third boy said, well, my dad owns the company that he is at. And then it was this father's son's turn. He looked over at his dad and he said, my dad's here. <laughs> and what trumps everything else for a child? Parents who are present, right? Parents who are there. Oh, how much that means to a child. And then the eighth way that we can discourage children is by withdrawing love. Withdrawing love. From the age of nine, my father grew up without a dad. So he never heard a father say, I love you. Guess what my dad had a hard time saying to me? I love you. In fact, I can never remember him ever saying to me these words, I love you. So when I became an adult, you know what I started doing? I started telling him, I love you. And it was so funny because he just didn't know how to respond to that. And so I would say to him, Dad, we love you. And all he could say was, me too, me too. And it was so funny because he meant, I love you too, but he couldn't say it. So he would say, we love you, Dad. And he would say, me too, but here's the interesting thing. When I would say that to him, there was always a smile that came on his face. Because everyone wants to hear that they are loved. And then a ninth way we can discourage our children is through bitter words. Bitter words. One day, a 42-year-old man was sitting in my office he had a muscle t-shirt on, he was all buff, and I thought to myself, it appears like he's trying to impress me. What's the reason for that? And then I discovered, he said to me when I was a boy, my father said this to me, you're nothing but a dumb Mexican, and that's all you'll ever be is a dumb Mexican. And then I knew, at 42 years of age, those words were still ringing in his ears. And the reason he was trying to impress me was he was still trying to prove his father wrong. He was still trying to prove, I am somebody. And then number 10. The tenth way we can discourage our children is failure to apologize. Failure to apologize. Now kids know we're human. They fully understand that we make mistakes, that we're not perfect. But what really hurts them is when we will not admit it. As I say that this morning, there are many of us who grew up in families where we had parents, perhaps a father or a mother, maybe both, who never said, I'm sorry, 
who never said, please forgive me. You know, Bart Starr was uh, five times NFL champion. But if you've read his biography, he grew up with a very critical father who favored his older brother. And then he won his first NFL championship in 1961. They blew out the New York Giants 37 to nothing. By the way, that's where I got that score on the scoreboard. It was from that NFL championship game in 1961. After the game, Bart Starr comes out of Yankee Stadium. There's his family. His father's behind his mother and his wife. He walks up to his father, and his father looks at him and says, I was wrong, son. The first time he had ever heard that in his life from his dad. Now think about that. A grown man, married, an NFL champion, and yet that simple apology from his dad meant so much. You know, some of the greatest conversations and most impactful conversations we can have with our children are when we say to them, I'm sorry, I was wrong. Please forgive me. And so as parents, we want to avoid these ten ways. Because it's very clear here that we are to be our children's greatest cheerleaders. Well, now as we look at the parallel passage here to Colossians, and as we look at another text in the New Testament, we find a third duty that God gives to all parents. And that is, train your children spiritually. Train your children spiritually. So, maintain your authority. Teach children to accept authority. Be your children's greatest encouragers, and now, number three, train your children spiritually. Now, the Bible says, under this duty, we have two responsibilities. The first one is to teach them about salvation. Teach them about salvation. And I want you to turn over in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3, and notice in verse 15 what the Bible says about this young man, Timothy. And notice verse 15 of 2 Timothy chapter 3. Listen to what it says about him. How from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, Timothy did not have a Christian father. In 1 Timothy, we learn that it was his grandmother and his mother who taught him the Bible. And because Timothy knew the scriptures when the Apostle Paul showed up in his town preaching the gospel, here's what Timothy knew. He knew I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. And when it was proved from the Old Testament scriptures that Jesus was that Savior, Timothy knew what he needed to do. He needed to admit his sinfulness. He needed to recognize he had fallen short of the glory of God. And by repentance and faith, he needed to accept Jesus Christ personally. And he did. And he was saved. And he became a Christian. 
Probably parents' number one spiritual responsibility is to pass on the scriptures to their children so that they can be saved. I've shared my testimony with you. That as a teenager, I began to be convicted of sin for the first time. I hardly knew what was going on. But because I had been trained in the Bible, I knew that I needed forgiveness for those sins and that Jesus was the Savior that could. And so for the first time in my life, when I started to feel conviction, I knew the answer to that conviction, and it was Jesus Christ. And I began to seek him in a way I'd never sought him before. I want you to listen to what Pastor Dwight Moody said about his own experience. Listen to what he said. I prayed for faith and thought it would strike me like lightning. But faith did not come. One day I read in Romans 10, 17, now faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I had closed my Bible and prayed for faith. I now began to study my Bible and faith has been growing ever since. You see, faith is not going to strike our children like lightning. It can only come when the Bible is open to them. The Bible makes that so clear. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's how a child ultimately is going to be saved. And so we have to teach them about salvation. Now our second spiritual responsibility is this. Teach them about Christian living. Teach them about Christian living. Look back with me at the parallel passage for just a moment in Ephesians chapter 6 and notice verse 4. Now as I read the first part of this verse, you'll immediately recognize this is parallel to Colossians 3.20, but then I want you to notice what is added by Paul in Ephesians 6 and verse 4. Notice what the text says. Fathers... Do not provoke your children to anger. That's Colossians 3.21. But now notice this. But bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That word instruction there is a word that means counseling, counseling. So we could actually read this verse this way, bring them up in the discipline and counseling that comes from the Lord. And so what this is telling us very clearly is that the Bible teaches us the Lord's counsel in how to live. What's right and what's wrong. What's true and what's false. What's wise and what is unwise. Once a child is saved, now they need training in how to live to please the Lord. Now, we cannot guarantee that when our children grow up, they will follow the Bible. No parent can guarantee that. But what we can do is this. 
we can do everything we can to help them know the scriptures so that on that day when they leave our home, they have a choice that is confronting them. Am I going to follow what the scriptures say? Or am I going to go in some other direction? You see, our responsibility is to help them so that they know what the Bible says. I mentioned earlier that Pastor John MacArthur talked about ten ways that we can discourage our children. Christianity Today had a a little article that gave ten ways as to how we can convey Christian values. And so these are somewhat uh, the antidote to those ten. Let me just share with you these ten ways that we can convey Christian values to our children. Number one, acknowledge that your child is a gift from God. The Bible says children are a heritage from the Lord. They are God's gift to you. Number two, Dedicate your child to the Lord to be used in his service. That's what Mary and Joseph did with Jesus. They brought him to the temple and they dedicated him to the Lord. Number three, make a personal commitment to God to grow yourself as a Christian parent. There's an old saying that puts it this way, train up a child in the way that he should go and make sure you go that way yourself. Number four, identify your values and convey these values as consistently as you can in your behavior. We all know children will do far more what we do than what we say. We all know the old saying that what you do speaks so loudly, I cannot hear what you say. And so we have to do all that we can to live consistently with our values. Number five, express to your children love and acceptance. I love you should be a frequent thing that we say. Number six, view discipline as an ongoing process of helping your children ultimately to become self-controlled and self-disciplined. That's why you're not giving up on the discipline process because one day you want them to self-discipline themselves. Number seven, pray daily for each member of your family. One of the great blessings that all parents understand is no matter what happens to our children or what direction they go after they leave our home, they can never escape our prayers. And so no matter which direction they take and if they go wayward and away from the way that we raise them, we know they can never go far enough that our prayers cannot reach them. And then number eight, maintain family worship and Bible study in your home. Be a parent who reads the Bible and reads it with your children. 
And then pray with your children on a regular basis. No child should ever grow up not being prayed for and with by their parents. Number nine, involve all family members in church activities. And number ten, participate in events your church will offer to help you grow as a Christian parent. I just have to stop here and say that I'm so thankful for Christian parents here at Bethel because there have been times in my own life as a parent that that I have struggled. And many times both Ellen and I have turned to other parents here and asked them for their advice and have received invaluable counsel from the parents of this church. And I would say today I'm a better parent because of the parents here at Bethel. And what a blessing to belong to a Christian fellowship where we help each other become better parents. A woman who has lived a very fulfilling and in many ways remarkable life is Debbie Turner. She was raised by a single mother, and she became the first person from Missouri to win the Miss America crown in 1990. And I want you to listen to the tribute that she gave to her mother. She said, my mother worked in the church, took hot meals to the elderly, led a Bible study, went back to school to get her master's degree, counseled people, and showered my sister and me with love, all as a single parent. A single parent family isn't the optimal situation, but it doesn't have to be dysfunctional. My experience certainly wasn't. What a great tribute from a remarkable woman to her single mother, who did the best she could to raise her daughters in the right way. This morning, I want to leave us, as we close out this series on marriage and family, with the words of Billy Graham. Here's what Billy Graham says to all parents, don't ever give up on your children. And don't we need to hear that today? Every parent here, those of us who are still raising kids, those of us whose kids have left the home, those of us whose children perhaps are not following in the way that we guided them, how we need to hear these words, don't ever give up on your children. Aren't we glad that the Grahams didn't give up on Franklin? Aren't we? The prodigal son who eventually came back to the Lord and now is continuing his father's ministry. What a great encouragement for all of us. Don't ever give up on your children. Let's bow together, shall we, in prayer.
As our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed and we're just quietly between us and the Lord letting the Holy Spirit speak to us. Perhaps there's some area in one of these three very basic duties that God has spoken to you in. And this morning you're saying, I want to be the best parent I can be. Maybe your situation isn't the most optimal either. But can you say to the Lord, God, I know that with you all things are possible. And you can take the things that I do as a parent and you can multiply them far beyond what I could ever imagine. And so, Lord, today, in whatever way you've touched my heart, I want to be that kind of parent. And then for some of us whose children are still very far from where we raised them, and there's been lots of pain and hurt that we've experienced. Would you say to the Lord today, Oh God, when all I can do is pray, I realize that's all I can do. And the God who can turn around a Franklin Graham is the God who can turn around my adult son or daughter. And so this morning, Lord, when the times get very discouraging and I wonder, is anything going to happen in my child's life? I'm committed to trusting you and praying and asking you to bring people into their life that will speak to them the truths that they were raised to believe. And that you, God, will draw them back to yourself in your time and in your way. And may I continue to live my Christian life and exhibit my testimony because they know who I am and they know how I live. Father, we're so grateful that you care for our marriages. You care for our children. You care for our families. You know our highs and our lows, our ups and our downs. You know our joys and our sorrows. And we thank you that you are always at work and that we can commit our families to your care. I pray today, Lord, that each one will find encouragement and resolve to continue in this great privilege and responsibility of being husbands and wives, moms and dads, 
young people and children. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen.